0: Uh, I have the privilege this morning to introduce to you our speaker this weekend. Now, if you want to know more about our speaker, we, we, ha- we have a little bio in our handouts, but I want to share with you, I met Jonathan probably about I think probably four or five years ago now. And uh, it was our sportsman's retreat. And if you guys don't know me, I'm a big outdoorsman. I, I love everything outdoors. And so that weekend, that retreat, we have about 700 guys here and it's an incredible opportunity. Uh, for us to just hang out as men, uh, but also um, challenge each other spiritually. And, and I, I knew these couple guys from the Dubuque area, and they said, Hey, Ryan, you got to meet this guy. And I had already noticed the guy because he stands about a foot taller than everybody else at that retreat. And he has this North Carolina twang, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we stood out, and I, and I finally got a chance to meet him. And what I found out is he's just a down-to-earth, real, genuine guy who loves Jesus. Yeah. And so this morning I asked Jonathan, I said, is there anything you want me to <laughs> say to introduce to you? Uh, when I introduce you, he goes, just tell him I'm Jonathan and I love Jesus. Yeah. And so this morning and through the weekend, I am I am glad to say that you are going to hear um, the, the true and pure words of the gospel from this man because that's his heart. Yeah. And that's what he knows God has put him here to do. And so, Jonathan, if you would go ahead and come on up. If you welcome Jonathan to the, to the microphone here. And I'm going to pray for you, if that's all right, as we, yes. get, we get started. Absolutely. So <clears throat> Thank you. if you guys would pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for my brother here. I'm thankful for where you take him. And I'm thankful for the charge that you put in his heart. Father, I pray this morning your words would come through him and that our hearts and minds would be open and willing to receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. You bet. Well, ladies and gentlemen, good morning.
1: One of the things that I love about the wind that we're experiencing today and tomorrow is that it reminds me of how I've been praying for us this weekend. I've asked that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow here. I was not thinking practically that that's what would be happening uh, with the 35 mile an hour uh, gale winds that we'll experience today, but it ties into the message that I believe that God has given us for this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 4, we'll spend some time there, verses 35 to 41, and while you're turning there, I want to share a story with you. Now, mind you, the story that I'm sharing is probably inappropriate based on the events of this week, but it goes with my message, so I thought I would share it anyways. So I'll ask your forgiveness. There was a Chicago mob boss that came to South Mississippi looking for a young man that owed the mob a lot of money. And when he did his homework, he found a farmer in a field who happened to be the uncle of the nephew of the, who was the guy that owed a lot of money. my boss rolls up in his Lincoln Continental and gets out in his tailor-made suit and his leather loafers and he walks through the field to this farmer who was plowing behind an old mule. And The mob boss came up to the farmer and said, hey, where's your nephew? He owes me a lot of money. The farmer said, I don't know. The mob boss said, I'm only going to ask you one more time. Your nephew owes me a lot of money. Where is he? The farmer said, sir, I've already told you. I don't know. At that moment, the mob boss pulls out a 357 revolver and starts firing at the ground at the feet of the farmer. Then the farmer started dancing a little jig like he was on hot coals. And when the mob boss emptied the revolver in the ground, he put it back in his holster, And the farmer reached around the plow mule to pull out a sawed off shotgun and shoved it right into the belly of the mob boss and says mr mob boss have you ever wanted to kiss a sweaty old plow mule the mob boss said no sir but i've always wanted to so why do i share that silly story with us this morning there's some of you here like the mob boss that have always wanted to experience peace in the midst of storms of your life. And as I see the storm clouds rolling in, I'm praying that the Lord will hold that off for us today so that we can hear about how we can experience peace in our lives. Just like the mob boss, you've always wanted to experience peace. This morning I want to share with you what the disciples experienced with Jesus. Some of us encounter personal storms. We encounter financial storms or physical storms or relational storms. You read the front page of the paper. This past Tuesday in Uvalde, Texas, a gunman goes in and kills 19 students and two teachers, and he wounds 17 others. And prior to going to the school, he shoots his own grandmother. We also read the statistics of COVID, which I thought was interesting here in Iowa because they're really low, but over 800,000 cases of COVID with over 9,500 deaths. I am one who has experienced COVID in my life. I was diagnosed with COVID back in July i was in icu for eight days i was supposed to be here labor day through covid the lord shut that door and opened a door for me to be here with y'all today we also look at the national gas price average four dollars and sixty cents a gallon i thought i'm coming to iowa the gas is going to be cheaper I filled up the car in Dubuque, and I thought, I should have walked. But then we see here in Iowa specifically, in the state of Iowa, three of the top leading causes of death, heart disease, accidents, and cancer. Maybe some of y'all have experienced the loss of a loved one this past year. Maybe some of you have experienced the loss of a job. Maybe some of you have experienced the loss of your home or your farmland. Maybe you've lost a friend. But God understands loss, too. And where is the Lord in the midst of that storm in your life? He's right there with you. When I flew from Raleigh to Chicago, I was sitting beside a man. When I got on the plane... He looked at me, said, why is it that every flight that I have, I get stuck beside the biggest guy on the plane? And he said, how big are you? And I said, well, I'm 6'9". He laughed. He said, well, I haven't sat beside anybody that big. And then he asked if I played ball. And then we get into that conversation. And one thing led to another. And I shared the gospel with him. And he said, Jonathan, I'm in a really dark place. I needed to hear this. And I said, Coach, what's going on? He said, My wife of 40 years just died of cancer. And my grandson, at the age of 13, was in a gymnasium with friends of his, and he fell from the balcony to the basketball court and died. That was in February. And he comes to the Indianapolis 500 every Memorial Day weekend with a group of guys that he's done that for years. He says, I love fast cars. He said, But, Jonathan, I can't outrun The darkness that I'm experiencing. So I believe one of the reasons why the Lord allowed me to have COVID, to miss the Labor Day weekend camp here, was to get on a flight from Raleigh to Chicago to share the hope that I have in Jesus Christ with Coach Jim Collins. But I also believe that one of the reasons why the Lord's allowed me to come here this weekend is so that I, in turn, can share with you the hope that I have in Christ in the midst of the storms of your life. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day and the privilege to be here this morning. I thank you for the breeze, for it reminds me of your blessings, Lord, as you blow through this community. But Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would breathe life into us. As we sang a moment ago about the dry bones becoming an army father would you raise us up in the midst of the storm would you help us focus on jesus and be renewed in our strength and so father i pray this morning that you would speak simply and clearly through me i pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece (coughs) father i also pray that you would empty me of me and that you would fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. For I commit this message to you, Lord, I commit this time to you for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if we typically do this, Ryan, at a camp like this, but I'm going to ask if you are able to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter 4 <coughs> Verses 35 to 41. It says, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith and confidence in me? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obeys him? May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Here in this passage, excuse me. <coughs> Here in this passage, we see that Jesus authenticates his personal authority as the son of God as he stands up and he displays his power over nature by calming the wind and the waves. But we also see Jesus in his humanity. He was tired. He was asleep in the stern of the boat. But he also displayed his deity when he stood up and he calmed the wind and the waves. This morning I want to suggest you hear three observations from this passage. The first observation I want to suggest you here is is Jesus' command in verses 35 and 36. Jesus said, let's go over or let's cross to the other side of the lake to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just been teaching... He had just been sharing with the disciples. He had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He had shared his word, literally, in parables to those around him. And hearing the word is intended to produce faith. For the Bible says, for by uh, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But the original text in the Greek language states, So faith comes by hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ the Messiah Himself. The disciples heard that very word from Jesus Himself. We're admonished in Scriptures to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Yet our faith here must be tried and tempered. We look at David. He could be trusted. Why? Because he was tested. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, he goes to visit his brothers who are away fighting a battle. And he shows up and he sees Goliath. And Goliath is now condemning God and condemning the Israelites and mocking them. And and no one's standing up to him. And David goes to King Saul and said, Hey, let me at him. I'm not afraid of him. I would go after a lion and a bear if they came and attacked my father's sheep. And I would snatch him by the beard. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have a beard that's right next to your teeth, I'm not going that close to a lion or a bear. I'll stand off about 400 yards and drop him with a shot right between the eyes. But David said, hey, I have confidence. I have no fear. God has gone before me, and he's going to give me the victory over this giant. And so what happened? David slung a stone and struck the Philistine, and knocked him down, and then he took the Philistine's own sword and cut his head off. That's what God promises. When we step out in simple faith and obedience the command that God has given us. David was able to be uh, trusted. Why? Because he had been tested. Practically here, I believe that the disciples were being tested to see what they had learned. When they heard Jesus teach, we must practice what we preach by faith. And I believe that's one of the reasons why... We encounter storms in our lives to develop and strengthen our faith. But Jesus' commandments are also His enablements. Nothing can nor will hinder God's plan and purpose for being accomplished in your life. You're saying, Jonathan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've said. Nothing will hinder that. Nothing will thwart God's plan and purpose for your life. For when you look at the passage, God doesn't promise us an easy trip. He only guarantees us a safe arrival at the other end. For Jesus said, we're going to the other side. He didn't say, well maybe we'll get there or I hope we get there or gee, I don't know the storm look, storm clouds look pretty rough. And the waves are pretty tall, and there are lots of sharks. And Let me clarify. There are no sharks in the Sea of Galilee. I just said that for illustrative purposes. But in that process, the Lord Jesus himself said, oh, we're going to the other side. That was his command. And yet for me, the easiest thing for me to do as an 8-year-old boy was to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I was watching a Billy Graham crusade on TV with my family, and every night, every time Billy Graham came on, we all gathered in the TV room, and we watched the crusade. And that night, Little House on the Prairie was on, and I thought Laura Ingalls was cute, and I wanted to watch Laura Ingalls and not Billy Graham. And so I did everything in my power to get thrown out of the room until Mr. Graham stood up to preach, and I sat down out of respect and admiration for him, and I listened. And that night I heard that God loved me, and I heard that God had a plan and purpose for my life, but I also heard that because of sin in my life, my relationship between me and a holy God was broken. And I knew I no longer wanted to be separated from God. And so that night during family devotions, I got down on my knees and I confessed my sin. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, and by faith I invited Christ Jesus into my heart and into my life. I obeyed Christ's command to be born again. Robbie Zacharias stated, when God calls you to a noble task, he will break you in ways you never imagined, to reshape you in the way that he wants you to be. Jesus never promised me a life free of cancer. Jesus never promised me a life free of abuse. Jesus never promised me a life free of divorce. Jesus never promised me a life free of unemployment. Jesus never promised me a life free of COVID. But what he has promised, he's promised to carry me. And praise God, 52 years later, he's still carrying me. Matthew, Henry, Stated, when I cannot enjoy or feel the faith of assurance, I live by the faith of adherence to the fact of God's faithfulness. What has God commanded you to do? How have you responded to God's command in your life? The Great Commission in Matthew 28 says, As you are going, go make disciples. And in Mark chapter 16, the Great Commission as well says, as you are going, go preach the gospel. As I am going from Raleigh to Chicago, I'm sharing the gospel with Coach Jim Collins beside me on the plane. As I am going from Chicago to Dubuque on a plane, I'm sharing the gospel with Alan, the guy that sat beside me. As I am going, preach the gospel. Not just here at Dayton, Iowa at Hidden Acres. What a privilege to do that. But it's as you are going, go. That's God's command for each of us. But how have you responded to that call in your life? Remember, delayed obedience is still disobedience. In a few moments, I'm going to give you that opportunity to respond to God's call to be born again. But secondly, I want to suggest to you here, not only do we see Jesus' command, we see Jesus' contentment. In verses 37 and 38, it said, A great windstorm of hurricane proportions, the original text says, and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Jesus knew the storm was coming. He wasn't worried about it. I think it was part of the disciples' curriculum to see how they would respond to the storm. I've had the privilege to go to the Holy Land. My mom led a tour there several years ago, and so I had the privilege to go as security for her. And We went to the Sea of Galilee. We stayed in Tiberias, and mom took several boats out with the tour group out onto the Sea of Galilee, and she cut the motors of the boats and we just sat there and i burst into tears because you hear the waves lapping against the hull of the boat and you hear the seagulls squawking and you feel the wind in your face and the sun on your neck and that's what jesus would have experienced and yet as you look around at the topography around the sea of galilee the canyons there form natural wind channels And so a storm can come up automatically without any warning because of those wind channels. So I could see how these storms occur on the Sea of Galilee. But this one here was so intense that the original translators stated that it was of hurricane proportions. These disciples that were fishermen had seen storms before, but they'd never seen a storm like this. And yet Jesus knew that storm was coming. And where was Jesus He was at perfect peace in the midst of the storm. He was asleep. And I believe it was because Jesus was in the center of God's will, was in the center of his Father's will. He was able to rest. He knew that he wasn't going to drown in the Sea of Galilee, for God had called him to go to the cross of Calvary, to freely lay his life down for you and for me. Why? Because he loves us. Oh, but he also knew that God would raise him from the dead Three days later, so that you and I can know and serve and love a risen Christ. Jesus could sleep in the bow of the boat because he was secure in God's will. David's proclaimed in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jesus can be trusted in the midst of the storms of our lives. And the way to peace and victory in our life is to accept every circumstance, every trial as straight from the hand of God. When I was diagnosed with COVID last July, sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze. When I was diagnosed with COVID last July, I was admitted to the uh, ICU unit at the hospital and I was quarantined and nobody could come see me and I was all by myself and yet I had an an epiphany. I had a perspective change and I thought, huh, I'm all by myself and I'm a guy that loves to preach the gospel. I thought, well, this is great. My pulpit is going to be my hospital bed, and my congregation is everybody that comes in, whether it's the nurses or the doctors or the orderlies. And I can promise you that everybody that came through those doors, I was able to tell them about Jesus. Because of my travel and my experience, um, I've learned some conversational phrases in several languages. One of my nurses was from Kenya. She was a Muslim. And she came in and I said, oh, it doesn't sound like you're from South Raleigh. Where are you from? She says, I'm from Nairobi. I said, oh, yes, to Nibwana. And she stopped and she looked at me and said, how do you know my heart language? I said, well, I used to live in East Africa. I lived in Kenya and Tanzania. And then she started speaking to me in Swahili. I had no idea what she was saying. And I said, I don't understand. Yesu Nibwana is Jesus is Lord. And she says, I'm a Muslim. And I don't believe in Jesus. I said, that's okay. I just want you to know that he loves you. And then she did whatever she did. But every time she would come in, I would say, Jambo Sano, or I would say, Asante Sano, or I would say whatever else I would say, Yesu Nibwana. And she would laugh every time she would come in. But I used it as an opportunity to share Christ. They would come in every two hours to wake me up, to check my vitals, to change fluids, and whatever else they would do. So if you ever go into the hospital, it's not a place of rest. So at 2 in the morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Jonathan, you need to sit up. And so when Donna, my nurse, came in, I sat up and she said, Jonathan, I'm only going to be here for a moment. You don't have to sit up. I said, no, that's okay. And I said, Donna, what's the highlight of your week? She said, I don't have one. She said, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick and die. And my family doesn't want me to be around them. So they've all gone to stay with my parents. So I'm all alone. And I said, Well, could I share my highlight? And she said, Okay. So I shared what God had been teaching me through the Psalms of Ascent from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Psalm 121 says, I look unto the heavens from whence or I look unto the hills from whence cometh my strength? My strength comes from the maker of heaven and earth. I said, That's where my focus is. It's on Jesus. And she sat down and she said, Jonathan, don't you understand that you could die? I said, Sure. I said, when I die, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. But if I live, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Two hours later, I had the privilege to lead Donna to Christ. Why do I share that? In the midst of my storm, my focus was on Jesus. My contentment was in who Christ is. Jesus is the great physician and the master healer. And yet if he chooses not to heal me, great, I get to go be with Jesus. Paul was able to pen in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He knew that his call in his life was to go to Rome to preach the gospel with Caesar himself. But Paul also knew that that meant death. And in his mind, Caesar, you can cut my head off. I'll go be with Jesus. But, Caesar, if you let me live, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. It's a win-win. That doesn't mean that I wasn't hypervigilant about the research and the homework that I was doing on my condition so that I could question the doctors and challenge them in their procedure. I'm at 64% lung capacity. My legs are starting to quiver, which means they're going to cramp here in a moment because they're screaming for oxygen. But I can promise you, with the 64% capacity that I have and the oxygen I have, I want you to know about Jesus. And Jesus is in the storm with you. Jesus Christ is no security against the storms of life, but he is perfect security in the storms of life. Let me state that again. Jesus Christ is no security against the storms of this life, but he has perfect security in the storm. My mom was diagnosed with cancer three years ago, and as I've watched her go through surgery and through treatments and through rehab, she's been the picture of contentment. She's not missed one day of spending time in God's Word. And I believe through those three years, this she has been a picture of contentment in the midst of her storm because she's looked to the Lord for help. Charles Spurgeon stated, Delayed answers to prayer are not only trials of faith, but they also give us opportunities to honor God through our steadfast confidence in Him, even when facing the apparent denial of our requests. But I want to point out something to you here. What causes storms in our lives? Sometimes, like Jonah, it's from our disobedience. But when we look at the disciples here, they encountered a storm in their life in their obedience. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So they went with Jesus to the other side. And they still experienced a storm. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 6, it says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we had food and clothing with these, we shall be content and satisfied. Like Christ, are you content in the midst of your storm? Maybe you're discontent with your life today. Maybe you're discontent in your marriage. Maybe you're discontent in your home. Maybe you're discontent in your school. Maybe you're discontent in your job. Maybe you're discontent in the sleeping arrangements that you have here at camp. Then give your heart to Jesus. Give your hurts to Christ. Give your hopes to Christ. Lastly, I want to suggest you here, not only do we see Jesus' command and we see Jesus' contentment, but lastly we see Jesus' correction. (coughs) In verses 38 to 41, they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And then he turned to the disciples and said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith had confidence in me. The Lord was with them. There was nothing to fear. They had seen Jesus perform miracles. They had seen him heal the sick, and heal the lame, and cast out demons. They should have had complete confidence that Jesus could handle any storm in their lives. And yet at this point, the disciples didn't know that jesus was master of everything jesus not only rebuked the winds and the waves but he also rebuked the disciples lack of faith their disbelief and i don't know about you but if i was one of the disciples in the boat and i see the lightning flashing and the waves crashing over the bow of the boat and about the boat's getting swamped and Then I start seeing the sharks circling around. And here again, no sharks in the Sea of Galilee. It's illustrative purposes. See the sharks swimming around and realize, oh, I left my life preserver on the seashore. And how am I going to get to shore if the boat sinks? And I mean, they're freaking out. The problem, I believe, is that they failed to look at Jesus. They were looking at the storm. And that is overwhelming. When I was diagnosed with cancer, my whole life was radically transformed in a couple of days. I go in for a physical because we changed insurance companies. The doctor said something's not right. I go in the next day for x-rays and sonograms. and When the results came in, the surgeon called me in and said, Jonathan, you have cancer. We need to operate tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. Yay! But at that moment, at that point, I could not focus... On anything because my mind was spinning but I knew that if I focused on cancer I would be overwhelmed when the doctor comes in said Jonathan we don't know the extent of damage cancer has caused and Jonathan we might open you up tomorrow and we might realize there's nothing else we could do and sit you up and send you home but Jonathan based on your chemistry and your body size you might not recover from anesthesia you may die on the operating table <laughs> great doc that's encouraging but if that's what i choose to focus on i am going to be overwhelmed and that morning on march 6 1998 as i spent time in devotions in pre-op waiting to go into surgery the lord was very clear and he made it very evident Through his word, he said, Jonathan, I've gone before you and prepared the way. Though you stumble, you won't fall. Why? Because I'll uphold you with a mighty right hand. He also said, Many of the afflictions are the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I need to be a rocket scientist to know that Jesus is speaking to me and letting me know, Jonathan, I understand. I know your concerns. And I understand you're in a storm. But Jonathan, I want you to know that I'm here with you. And so I was able to go into surgery, no worries. Come out of surgery and I have issues today because of the treatments that affected my liver and kidneys. I also have issues today because of COVID with my lungs. But where's Jesus? He's right there with me. And yet for the disciples, they had Jesus right there with them. And they didn't look at him. They didn't look to him. They didn't find him. They heard Jesus teach the scriptures. They saw and performed great miracles, and yet they still had no faith. And their unbelief caused them to fear. And their fear caused them to question the Lord. Lord, do you not even care? We're going to drown and we're going to die? That's a lie. Just look at the cross. Heard a Bible teacher years ago, Dr. Alan Redpath. He asked the question, what is it that God expects from you and me? I thought, well, I need to read my Bible and go to church. He asked the question again, what is it that God really expects from you and me? And I guess, well, I need to share my faith and I need to pray. I'm also going to pray that the Lord holds that thunder and lightning off. And then he said... You know what God really expects? He expects failure. Oh, man, I can meet that expectation. And yet he goes on and says, but he's given us the Holy Spirit whereby we should never fail if we yield our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Where do I fail? That's where I say, Lord, I got this. Where do I fail? That's where, Lord, I don't want what you want. I want what I want. These disciples are the same way. They were relying on their own experience as seamen. They were relying on their own experience as fishermen. They were relying on their own experience to weather the storms. And yet they'd never encountered a storm like this before. And they were thrown out of their comfort zone. And they were looking to themselves for peace. And they could find no peace. then they were looking at the Prince of Peace, but they didn't acknowledge that yet, and they said, do you not even care? And that's what the enemy does. The Scripture is very clear. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the great deceiver. And he's told you, he's told me, that God doesn't love you. Why? Because your wife left you. The Lord told you, or he tells me, that God doesn't care about you. You've lost your farm. The Lord... Or, uh, the world tells you, God doesn't even know you exist. And yet you believe that because you were diagnosed with COVID. And yet here, the correction is, look to the cross. The Bible says that he that knew no sin became sin for us. They died on the cross of Calvary. Martin Luther called that the great exchange. That Jesus left the glories of heaven and he came to this earth to die on the cross for you and me. The Bible says that God demonstrates or clearly proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus has done for you and me. And so one of the ways I want to encourage you this weekend is to help correct your focus. What a great opportunity to get away from work and to come be together as a family, to play shuffleboard and to go fishing and to ride your bikes and to grill hot dogs and s'mores. and What a blessing that is. But I pray in the midst of this weekend that you'll spend time as a family putting your focus back on Christ and that He, in turn, will be the anchor in the midst of the storms of life. And we're all either going to experience a storm in our lives, either we're going to go into one, we're in one now, or we're coming out of one. But where is Jesus in the midst of all that? He is in it with us. The book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, states... See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. (coughs) That's what Jesus was correcting the disciples. They had no faith. They had no confidence in Jesus and that he would do what he said he would do. Are you like the faithless disciples who cried out to the Lord, don't you care? I'll close with this story. In 66 BC, the Roman general Pompey conquered King Tigranes in Armenia. And Tigranes was captured by the Roman legions. And Pompey wanted to make an example of Armenia to the rest of the world. (laughs) And he said, when you capture Tigranes and his family, I want you to bring them before me so I can behead them. When the great Pompey rode up with his Roman legions, Tigranes and his family were there, ready to be executed. And historians say that when the great Pompey rode up, Tigranes ran and fell at the feet of the great Pompey and begged for mercy. And he said, oh, great Pompey, Have mercy on my wife and family. Please let them go free. Take my life instead. And historians say that the great Pompey was so moved with compassion that he released Tigranes and his family and withdrew his Roman legions from Armenia. And as the great Pompey was riding away, Tigranes turned to his wife and said, what did you think of the great Pompey?" And she said, how could I even look at the great Pompeii when my eyes are fixed on the one willing to die for me? And so that's my question here for you today. In the midst of your storm, maybe in the midst of your calm, are your eyes fixed on the one that was willing to die for you? His name is Jesus. I had a privilege yesterday. I had breakfast with a couple that had recently been married and they came in from Chicago to Dubuque to have uh, their uh, part of a wedding party and so I met them for breakfast and just was checking in with them and seeing how their marriage is doing and see how they're doing personally and how I could encourage them. And they're going through a rough spell. And so I drew an illustration for them, a triangle. It's the relationship triangle. So you had... Chris on one side and Kaz on the other and Jesus at the top. That's the triangle. And relationally, as you grow closer to the Lord, you grow closer to each other. One of the challenges that we all face in life is that we have a tendency to lose focus of the Lord and we start focusing on each other. And that's what's happening in this couple's life. They're looking to each other to make each other happy. And yet, when that person is not making them happy, then they start building up a wall and start being nasty. Well, you said this. Well, I don't like that. Well, you leave your clothes on the floor and you don't put your dishes in the dishwasher, whatever the case is, and going back and forth, back and forth. And they start going this way. And so I turned to him and said, but you have a choice. You can choose to look at the others through the eyes of Christ, thus exalting Christ to the rightful place in your relationship. But then God will give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear the needs of those around you. And then you'll realize that they're not the enemy. So maybe that's you today. You're looking at each other to make you happy. You're looking at the next job to make you happy, or the bigger house to make you happy, or the bigger truck to make you happy. And then you realize when you're driving down the road and gas is four sixty a gallon, I don't want a truck, I want a horse and buggy, and it doesn't make you happy. But I can promise you if you look to the Lord, if you spend time in His Word, Every day, as you spend time on your knees in prayer, that God will speak to you. He will give you his wisdom to help you make your decisions. He will give you a love for your spouse that you've never had before. And he'll give you strength to endure the storms of life. But how are you going to experience that if your eyes are not focused on Jesus? And that's where Jesus rebuked the disciples' lack of faith. So my encouragement to you today is as you go about the activities with your family, that you would choose to look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.